revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Amen. Thank you very much, Philip. It's great to have students, uh, junior high, high school, and sometimes even younger children uh, read scripture for us. You know, we've been in this sermon series on the study of God, on theology. And so now we come to a worldview question, uh, what's going to happen? Where is history going? That's a worldview question. People are asking, where did everything come from, which we talked about last week. And where is history going? You know, and as we think about this, we need the whole Bible. You know that? The whole Bible. Sometimes we like to just go to proof text, these verses that we memorize just for certain occasions and certain times. But nothing wrong with that. But we need Leviticus and Deuteronomy and we need Revelation. And I have a short video clip from Russell Moore the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Coalition, trying to play uh, just to get us started uh, today. That means that we must be the people who are shaped and formed by Scripture in more robust ways than we have been in the past. It is not enough to know proof texts. The challenges that are going to face the next generation are challenges that in many cases we cannot even conceive or predict right now. The answer is not to have a series of programs where we teach people how to think about all of these things. The challenge is to have a group of people who are so immersed in the scripture that they are ready for challenges they don't even know right now. That's not only true in terms of a church and in terms of a culture. That's true in your life personally. What I often want to do is when I find myself in a difficult situation to then turn to the Bible and, and to find those sections of the Bible that speak to me in that time of difficulty and in that time of crisis. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is far better for you to be so immersed in the Bible that you are reading through the scriptures in places that you do not need at the moment because your conscience and your psyche and your spirit are being conformed by that for situations you do not yet face. You need the whole counsel of God, but you do not yet know why you need the whole counsel of God. Jesus did not read Deuteronomy 6 through 8 in order to prepare him to do battle with the devil in the wilderness. Jesus was already steeped in the word of God so that he had intuitions formed by the Bible so that he could recognize when the devil says to him, turn these stones into bread, 
I find myself in the same place in the storyline that Israel was when the testing and the tempting was to disbelieve God in his provision. And so just as God said to Israel, I trust that my father is now saying to me, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need Leviticus. You need Philemon. You need the entire structure of the Bible in ways that you may not even be able to understand or to know right now. We need the whole Bible. We need Revelation. We do need Leviticus. We need Deuteronomy. We need Numbers. We need those books that maybe you're not reading that often. You know, sometimes Russell Moore had another article where he talked about why Sunday school was important. Now, you don't just get this at Sunday school, but when we're studying the whole Bible, there are books and passages and stories in the Bible that God will bring to mind during difficult times that you may not learn if you're only looking for one of the common passages, the proof text, so to speak. You need the whole Bible. I hope you're in the Bible. I hope you're in the Bible regularly because sometimes what happens is people only expect to be in the Bible on Sunday mornings. What if you only ate one day a week? And then you go to have this big meal. You'd be sick to your stomach. You'd be choking on it. And sometimes people are choking on the truth because they're not in it being fed daily. Back in the 1980s, there was a show called Quantum Leap. Any of you remember that show, Quantum Leap? You know, and in that show, the main character would leap between different time periods. A thought to keep in mind is that God can leap from any time period he wants. God is a keeper of the timeline. So I have a rope up here, okay? And I got several feet of rope. Now imagine that this first end which I'm holding is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is, this is creation. And I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? Here, can you hold this? I don't need to throw it at you. Catch, catch, catch. Now unravel it. I just want to be interactive. So this is Genesis 1-1. Just keep unraveling. Genesis 1-1. This is creation, okay? And then it's, if you look at this, and if you can see me, I know I'm a little short, just a little, but um, if you see this, this is creation, and this is a timeline. Imagine this rope is a timeline. I'm going to keep walking, okay? This is a timeline. And then if this is creation, so I'm going to go from right to left in true Hebrew fashion rather than left to right. So this is creation. And then we go over, and maybe this is Abraham, where my left hand is. And then maybe we go a little bit further, and we would have Moses, and then later David, and then later Ezekiel, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezra. That's like 3,500 years of history in this little spot, okay? Somewhere around 3,500 years of history in this little spot. Now, you would go another 400 years, and now we got Jesus' birth, and then Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and it doesn't have to be clearly untangled, but you're doing a good job, ladies. Um, and then we go maybe another 2,000 years, and now this is us here. Okay, so all of time up until now on this rope timeline could be, could be wrapped up in this little bit of, you know, rope right 
like this, you know, all this time. But eternity just keeps on going and going and going. And then maybe right about here, this might be when Jesus comes again and makes things right. This might be the rapture of the church. And then, and then you have the millennial reign, you know, another thousand years. And then you have, you know, the new heavens and new earth. But time, for us at least, keeps going on and on and on and on. It's my rope timeline. Now, Francis Chan makes the case that if this rope represented our life in all eternity, many times this is retirement, like this little spot. Eternity keeps going on and on and on and on, but this is retirement. And oftentimes we only focus on our life or our retirement rather than eternity, which goes on and on and on and on. But my point, and we're just going to lay that there for a moment, but my point is God is the keeper of the timeline. God is the maker of the rope. He created it. God can go anywhere on that rope timeline he wants at any time. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere at the same time. And he's also present on any time he wants to be at the same time. God, who is not bound by time, chose to put you on this earth at this time for a reason. I love history. And oftentimes I'm thinking, gee, I wish I would have lived 200 years ago. Except for air conditioning, I like that. But, uh, but God chose to put me here at this time for a reason. God chose to have you born when you were for a reason too. And God can go anywhere he wants on our rope timeline. God can quantum leap, so to speak. God is not limited by time. For he created time. Let's go a step further. God is to time as we are to that rope, which is laying on the floor now. Thanks for your help. You did wonderful. And they didn't even know I was going to use them. Um, God looks down on time all at once. He's not limited by it, for he created it. Isn't that amazing? We serve such an amazing God, which we have the privilege to worship. He even is master over time. Oftentimes, we think of, you know, omnipresent, meaning God can be anywhere on earth that he wants to be at any time. But it's way more than that. God can be anywhere in time that he wants to be. God can be anywhere in the universe that he wants to be. God has no limitations. And if he did have limitations, we would not want to serve him. Don't we want to serve the greatest God of all? The only true God, amen? He's the greatest. So today I want, I want to talk about where is history going. In a nutshell, history is going to a point in time and place where everyone will be judged. God will make all things right again. In order to talk about this, I thought I would introduce the book of Revelation and then talk about judgment. Look, she's even winding it back up. Thank you. I thought I'd introduce the book of Revelation and talk about judgment. Revelation is the book of the end times judgment. So we might as well talk about it. However, please know there are other places throughout the Bible where it talks about judgment. As we look at Revelation 1.1, we are going to quantum leap back in time. Quantum leap back in time to around 96 A.D. But not only us. 
Jesus is also entering John's realm of existence through an angel and even Jesus himself later on. So that's quantum leap, so to speak, back in time to 96 AD. Don't worry, we'll have you back in today's day at the end of the sermon. My theme, the revelation of Jesus Christ, God tells us the rest of the story. And this is an intro to Revelation and Judgment. We've already read Revelation 1, 1 through 3. By the way, a couple applications. Be encouraged. God is in control of everything, even time. Take this book seriously. God is in control. We've got to get that into our minds because we, we, we sometimes forget that. We get worried. We get anxious. We see everything going on. We watch the news. We turn on the news. We get worried. We get discouraged. What is going on? Remember that God is in control of everything. Nothing surprises God. Philip already read Revelation 1, 1 to 3. I'm not going to read it again, but I am going to talk about it. So please keep your Bibles open if you're there. This letter is revelation from Jesus Christ. This is all in verse 1. It's revelation from Jesus Christ. It, is, it all says it in the, in the passage. It is from the Father to the Son. It is from the Son, which is Jesus, to the angel. It is from the angel to John. It is from John to us. Those are the steps. This verse... In verse 1, verses 1 through 3, says that God gave this to his servants to show his servants what must soon take place. You know, be encouraged that God is not limited. There is nothing limiting God. God wanted to show us and all Christians through the ages that things must soon take place. He declared it to us. He showed it to us in Revelation as well as in Daniel, as well as in Matthew, as well as in the rest of the Bible. You know, but this verse, I must pause here, because this verse says what must soon take place. Soon take place. And it says this almost or about or actually a little bit over, a little bit over, 2,000 years ago. So remember that God is outside of time. What's soon to God may not be soon to us, just like what's soon to me may not be soon to my little girls, Mercedes and Abigail. For we all remember being parents or being children when our parents say, in a minute, and we might mean in 20 minutes. There, the computer's been making that noise. That's a God moment. God is outside of time. 2 Peter 3.8 is on the screen. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And by the way, the passage goes on to say right there in 2 Peter 3.8, the reason God has not brought all of the revelation, all of this apocalyptic literature to be, to come to pass, is because he's waiting for more to be saved. He's waiting for your friends and for your family members and for your neighbors and for your acquaintances to be saved. He was waiting for us to be saved. He wants more to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior and a commitment to him. He's waiting for salvation to come to many others. By the way, notice that this book is titled Revelation to John. Everyone say Revelation. It's not Revelations. There's no S at the end of Revelation, okay? 
This work, which is a letter in the New Testament format, is one ginormous revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. Now, there are four primary ways of interpreting revelation. And we'll just sum them up real quick. The historicism method, sometimes we call that amillennialism. The futurist, the preterist, and the idealist. Let's look at those just briefly. The historicism method, these people would interpret chapters 1 through 3 taking place in the first century. And then chapters 4 through chapter 20, verse 6, taking place between the second century A.D. and the end times. And then chapters 20, verse 7 through chapter 22 is when Jesus makes things right, when Jesus comes again. Then there's a futurist method, which is generally the way I lean. The futurist believes revelation takes place in the future. Chapters 4 throughout chapter 22 all have not taken place yet. Then there's a preterist. The preterist, which is an idea of a past fulfillment or a contemporary to John's readers. These would believe that revelation had to do with the Roman Empire and the fall of the Roman Empire. Fulfillment is entirely in the past by the fall of Constantine and Rome in 476 A.D. Some even who have this preterist idea would see it as the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Then there's the idealist. This is kind of rare. They see revelation operating at two levels, which would be the idea of general spiritual principles taking place throughout all the ages. There is an immediate meaning with the idealist. There is an immediate meaning for John and his readers, but there is also a profound spiritual reality for all ages. And the idea yeah, that this is all about a clash between good and evil. Now, there are variations on each of those interpretations, especially with the millennial reign and the tribulation period, and we're not going to get into those today. But I would generally fall into the futurist camp. I usually believe that the millennial reign is literal. It's a literal thousand-year reign of Christ, and it will still happen. I generally believe that Jesus will come again in the rapture. This is the way I live. Following the rapture, I believe, will be the tribulation period. So the rapture of the church, tribulation period, which is a seven-year period of intense persecution. Following the tribulation period, I believe, will be the thousand-year millennial reign. Following the millennial reign, I believe we will have the final judgment. I do need to say that I know respectable pastors and theologians who are all millennial, which would be the historicism method, and I mean no disrespect for them. Let's talk more about the writing of Revelation. John is exiled to the island of Patmos, and this was under persecution. He might have been there to force, uh, force to work the mines. If you imagine him, he's an elderly man working in the mines. And this could have been the great persecution under Caesar Nero, which was the 60s A.D., or in the 90s A.D. under Domitian. I usually believe it was around 96 A.D. under Domitian, which was an emperor of Rome. But John witnessed for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ with all that he saw. This is all in verse 2. By the way, three times in the book of Revelation, 
three times it talks about the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. They are under persecution for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Ask yourselves, do you, do we stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ? Does that mean anything to us? The word of God is the inspired Bible and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was on the island Patmos being persecuted for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now this letter is apocalyptic literature. Uh, it's, it's apocalyptic prophecy. It's the idea of pulling back a veil or curtain and showing something. John is showing the spiritual realm to us. He's showing us what is to happen. And John uses a Jewish pool of imagery. There's a lot of imagery in the revelation of John, in this book of Revelation, that we may not understand. They would have understood it, but we may struggle with it because it's a Jewish pool of imagery. He uses a few images from Hellenistic culture, which would be Greek culture. But most of the imagery is from the Old Testament in the intertestamental period, between the Old and the New Testament time period. There is an early 80s Reader's Digest article titled, Motel of Mysteries. Motel of Mysteries. It was written as if it was an archaeological report. It was about the late 20th century America that is now buried under dirt. An archaeologist comes across a motel. But the description, they say that this was a late 20th century burial site. I mean, imagine if hundreds of years from now, people are digging up an old motel. And they don't know what it is. And in this Reader's Digest article, the, they, they didn't know what to think of this motel. So they thought it was a burial site. The toilet seat was something you wear around your head. The bathtub was a sacred tower, and the shower was a musical instrument. The article goes on and on, but we know better because we know what those objects and what that hotel is. Time Magazine in 1992, when the Republicans took over Congress, showed a donkey on the Republican elephant. Under, I'm sorry, a donkey under the Republican elephant. We understand the image because it's part of our time. But what would people think of that image 2,000 years from now? For the first audience of Revelation in the first century, they knew the imagery because they were in this imagery every single day. John's audience understood it. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah are primary examples of John's Old Testament imagery. Also imagery from Baruch, Song of Songs, and some other intertestamental writings. Verse 3 tells us we are blessed when we read this letter. How many books of the Bible tell us we're blessed when we read them? Specifically. Just Revelation. This is the only book of the Bible that says we are blessed when we read it. Now some of us may read Revelation. You may go home and read it. And you may not feel blessed. You may feel cursed as you try to get through Revelation, right? I like what one writer said. The symbolism in Revelation is drawn from many previous book, Bible books. Revelation is similar to an airport or a railway terminal where materials from many other sources come together. When you read Revelation, you have to cross-reference it with Daniel and with Isaiah and with Ezekiel and with Matthew. 
Scripture interprets Scripture. You have to read it together. When I was in high school, I was in a discipleship class, and I had to do an hour-long Bible study every week. You had to take a chapter of the Bible and study just that chapter and do cross-reference and make observations. So I was studying Revelation, one chapter a week, and I was doing the cross-reference with my King James Version study Bible, because at that point, I thought that was the only valid translation. And um, now the NASB is the one that Apostle Paul used. But uh, anyways, when I was studying, I was so encouraged and uplifted in my faith by how all the cross-reference connects in the Bible. Seriously, if you read Revelation chapters 1 and then 2 and 3 and do the cross-reference, Notice how all the Bible connects with each other. Every book, all, all 66 books of the Bible written by 39 or 40 different authors, written over something like a 1,500-year period, and they all connect because they're all inspired by one author being God. We must read the letter. We must study the letter. Revelation 22.10 says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. So in the beginning, it says, blessed is the one who reads this book. And in the end, it says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Where is history going? It's going to the final judgment. Let me share a little bit about the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus' return will be sudden. We see that in these various passages. Jesus' return will be physical. We see that as well. It will be sudden. It will be physical. Jesus will come again in power as king of kings to reign eternally. Jesus will judge. Believers will be judged as well. All of us will be judged. We Christians will be judged based off of the way we lived. Believers can have confidence in the day of judgment, though, because of our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Again, Revelation is the only book of the Bible that says we are blessed when we read it. I like what the ESV Study Bible says. While there has been much debate over the nature and timing of the millennial events over the future, what is certainly clear in Scripture is that Christ will return and he will establish his kingdom, and that all mankind will finally acknowledge his lordship over all creation. Any of you know of the candy now or later? I used to like now or laters. Look, we will acknowledge Jesus' lordship now or later. It's best if we acknowledge Jesus' lordship now. We do not have a choice but to bow at the feet of Jesus and worship him. This thing continues to say, Once and for all, creation will undeniably submit to Christ the king, and he will reign on earth as already he does in heaven. He will reign on earth as he already does in heaven. Jesus is coming again. And I'm going to need sound turned on to the computer for this last video clip. Coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come...
But it says, for as the light comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus could come any moment, and we do pray for his soon coming. The question is, are you ready? Where is history going? It's going to final judgment, where Jesus, once and for all, does make things right. We can have confidence and trust in Jesus. God is the keeper of the timeline. God knows all things. He is omnipresent. So the question is, have you trusted in him as Lord and as Savior? If you know Jesus as Lord and as Savior, are you ready for his soon coming? Can we all say together, come Lord Jesus, come. Come today. Because everything's going to be made right and made new and made perfect. The whole Bible teaches that God created us to be with him. God is relational. Next Sunday, we'll talk about Palm Sunday and Jesus coming into Jerusalem, hailed as king. And two weeks, we'll celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And in three weeks, I'll have the final Sunday on this sermon series on the study of God. And we're going to talk about do Christians and Muslims worship the same God. And we don't. The God that's revealed in the Bible is a relational God. The God, Allah, that is revealed in the Quran is not a relational God. And even the Muslim scholars will say that. God created us to be in relationship with him. He desires a relationship with all of you, with all of us. But our sins separate us from God. Don't mess with the holiness of God. He is no one to be trifled with. He is a creator, a sustainer of all things. He is the one true God, and he is holy. And our sins are against God. They separate us from God. Don't trivialize sin, because then you trivialize the holiness of our great and awesome God. And through the Old Testament, we see sins cannot be removed by good works. This is an acronym. G-O-S. See it on the sides? P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is the only way to take care of our sins. By his blood on the cross. E, Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. That's a simple acronym to share the gospel. Gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Are you sharing it? I kind of believe that if we really don't care to share it, we really don't believe it. Or we take it lightly. Because I think if we really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, we cannot help but care to share it and care to pray that others know Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And so today I ask you again, do you really believe this? Are you staking your eternity on it? We are never promised tomorrow. We will all die someday. True statistic, 10 out of 10 people will die. You can fact check it. Are you sure that when your time comes, you'll go to heaven because of trust in Jesus? I can tell you, if you're trusting in the Jesus revealed through the Old and New Testament of the Bible, you go straight to heaven. And you can take confidence with that, so much confidence that you can take it to your grave. And I would officiate and pass your funeral and say, he or she's in heaven. They're with Jesus. Absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. I'm going to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that as Christ followers, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, 
as disciples of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, we know for certain that we'll go to heaven. That when you call us, you call us home. You call us to eternity with you. Oh, what a treasure that is to believe. When we think of the future, when we think of where history is going, and we think of judgment, we can have confidence that when we are judged by you, we are also judged through you, Jesus, and through your blood. The blood of the cross takes care of our sins forever. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. What sin? It's gone. We're justified. We're made righteous. We go to heaven. We have eternity in you. Oh, Jesus, if there's people here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, and they need to repent and turn to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess they're sinners in need of a Savior, and you are that Savior. May today be the day when they believe, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by May today be the day when they trust in you. It's not just a casual belief. It's a trust in you as Lord and Savior. And may today be the day when they commit to you. They're committing their life to you. Jesus, it's commitment. It's, it, it's making you Lord of our life. It's living for you, not living for the world. Living for you. But help. Jesus, help us to live for you. We really do need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Living for you and sharing this great gospel truth. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand if you're able as we sing our closing hymn, number 305, titled, Coming Again. <laughs>